All right, well, I will take this stuff off of here, and then I have the privilege today to call up the most revered, though not reverend, Chris and Emily Adamow. Um, Chris and Emily are missionaries with the World Mission Prayer League. They're currently on home assignment, and so they, that means they're working in the home office in Minneapolis. And so we asked them to, to come and share about commissioned living. Do you want one mic or two? One's fine. Okay. Oh. If you want to use that to move the slides. Sure. Point them at point it at Nathaniel. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I am very happy to be here. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Good. Um, my wife is passing out a document. We did not make this document, but uh, we're giving it to you today to talk about commissioned living. Someone in our organization who works in a restricted area or was working in a restricted area made this document. And we're going to be going through it today. And I know it's really cool to have this nice pamphlet in front of you, but I'm going to ask a favor. I know how tempting it is to just be enthralled with this document today. <laughs> so what I'm going to ask is that you stay on pages two through three if you want to look at it at all. And later on, you dive deeper into it. So um, we are really happy to be here. Um, is that... Uh, sorry. So Joe asked us to talk about what it means to live a commissioned life. Commissioning. When you guys think of commissioning, like the, the first thing that I think of is like you are in the military and you've received a commission, right? We could look at that word and break it down and say, well, we are on a co-mission, right? So that's where the word commission comes from. And what does that mean for our lives? Well, hopefully that our purposes in life are in alignment with God's purposes. So when we are thinking about this, it, it goes to our calling. What is God calling us to? Uh, each of us have a unique gifting and calling that God has given on our lives. And it looks different for me than it does for you. But you know what we're all called to do? We're all called to share. We're all called to be with God. Like God's deepest desire is that we would be with him. And that's, that's something really amazing and humbling to think about, that God desires us to be with him. When you look at the calling of the 12 disciples, why did he do it? Go back and read it sometime on your own. But he called them to be with him. And, you know, we were looking at that Revelation passage today. And Joe said, hey, I'd be interested in hearing Chris's thoughts. Well, that was the one that stuck out because he said, oh, these are going to be the, all the readings we're doing today. And I looked at it and I said, you know, we go into the world for mission. Why? To do all this stuff. To let the gospel be preached to the ends of the earth. In the end, there's going to be an angel that does that too. You know, so that's really cool. What does God desire from us today? Well, that we're with him. And not just you guys here 
in this room, but the people in your community and the people in the next community and the people in the next as far as the ends of the earth. That's what God desires. So how do we do this? Well, we try to live with him. We try to live a commissioned life to be in what he's doing. And what did Jesus tell us? Well, he told us to go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That's what he commissioned us to do. Did he say, go make Christians? No, he said, go make disciples. And what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, that's a whole study I'm going to let Pastor Joe deal with with you guys. Um, (laughs) But uh, ancient Christians for a long time, back in the day, lived under a rule of life. They sought to think, how can I take my life in order in such a way that what is most important is getting done? And I'm keeping the the most important things um, at the forefront of my thought. So we at World Mission Prayer League kind of have a commissioned living statement. And on page two in the in the in the orange here, it, it breaks down our, our statement. It says that God the Father has lovingly reconciled all people to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, rescuing them from sin and condemnation. And now by his Holy Spirit empowers all believers in Jesus to be his witness throughout the world, commissioning them to make disciples of all nations. Therefore, by God's grace and presence, we commit ourselves to commissioned living to the end that God is glorified as people are made disciples of Jesus. So that is like what we're doing. And then we have six principles of commissioned living. And I'm going to break down each one of these six. So this is a tangible way that we can live a commissioned life. Okay? So um, the first one, where am I? You're on. Dependency Dependency (laughs) on God is our first principle of commissioned living. It's right there. Oh, good. There, there it is. I can see. Okay. Now, anyone ever try to depend on God? Is it easy? Is it crazy scary? It is. Okay. Um, so this statement says dependency on God. We will gladly receive and fully depend on God's promises and provision, choosing to live simply as so to make the best use of God's gifts. That is a great ideal. <laughs> That is a wonderful idea. You ever look at the Israels come out of Egypt? Okay, so the closest I ever had to seeing a pillar of cloud or a, you know, pillar of fire here, uh, I used to fly planes. So here, here are two pictures of, you know, lightning struck nearby you and some, some rain coming at you. Both, if you're in a small plane, are terrifying, by the way. Okay, so... When we felt the call to go to India, God was pulling me out of my current vocation of flying planes and saying, hey, why don't you go to India? And so I gave up the, the life that I had, flying planes, and went to go, to go follow God. And guess what happens when the going gets tough? We, so I quit my job, didn't have an income for a while, and now we're going to seek God for our next steps. You know, the first thing that I wanted to do, it was what the Israelites tried to do too. They're like, let's, let's just go back to Egypt because 
at least we knew there what's happening. Following God is terrifying. There's no way around that, but it's good. And so I've seen God time and time again in my life come through. But when the rubber met the road, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some failings of, of myself with you. I think that's a good way to start because I'm sitting up here as someone who fails a lot in life. Joe could tell, Joe could tell you. Um, <laughs> so when God was calling us to go to India, I felt like he said to me, Chris, don't get a job. Trust in me to provide. So we left Southern Illinois, went to Minneapolis to get training to go to India. And you know what happened? I had a modest savings. I couldn't sell our house. And then I saw that savings go down because I had to keep paying the mortgage. And then soon I had nothing left. And so you know what I said? Well, I wish I said I got on my knees and I prayed for God to, to meet us. But you know what I did? I said, I need a job. Go get a job, Chris. So I got a job. And it was the most humbling job I've ever had in my life that I had to pay to get. And in two months' time, didn't really make my money back. So it was not a solid investment. And it was all God taking me to the point of really just needing to depend on him. So I confessed to Emily, hey, I need to quit this job. And we need to pray and ask God to provide for us. And you know what happened when I did that? Something amazing happened. God met me in my dependent state. In one week's time, we had the realtors say, hey, we found a buyer for your house. You're not going to make anything. It's breaking even. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we had someone call and say, if God has put on our heart to give you this amount of money per week, which was the exact amount that God trained us for the last five years to live off of, praise the Lord. And we had someone say, hey, there's this really cool food program. You pay 25 bucks and you get about $200 worth of food. Praise the Lord. God provides when we're dependent on him. And he also wants us to utilize our resources in a simple way to help uh, provide for others. Scripture for that? Uh, yeah, scripture. So our scripture, our scripture for dependency on God comes from Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be named, made known to God. Prayer. Hey, is this, is this uh, something we're all familiar with? Is prayer a point that we should focus on our commission life? Yes. We will faithfully pray for the advancement of God's kingdom, particularly among the least reached. Now, defining where the least reached is, is contextual. The least reached in your community is very different from the least reached at the ends of the world. But God wants us wherever we're at to be praying for the least reached and to have a heart for those who don't know him. So how this happened in our life, um, we ended up going to India. We went specifically to Kashmir, where there is this cave near our area that people go to pray to um, a demonic deity, is how I would classify it. 200,000 people a year go to this cave to, to pay pilgrimage. And I do believe in spiritual powers and principalities that are over places. And I got the opportunity to go directly to this cave on a prayer walk. And as a, as a non-Hindu pilgrim, you should not have the right to go to this cave. And I was allowed to go to this cave and prayer walk the whole way for God's kingdom to come, for the powers to be bound. So there's real power. And God really wants us to go out into the world 
as a body that's dependent on him and faithfully praying. And so this could happen in, in so many different ways. But that's one tangible example of how prayer happened in our life. Um, the next point is, oh, I'm sorry. I, Emily was going to read the scripture. Right. Oh, yeah. Scripture for prayer. Let's not forget God's word because yeah. that's really important. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the next point of our six-point practice here is intentional community. Hey, God wants us to be intentionally communal with one another. Is this a surprise to anyone in the room? No. Is it something that's hard to actually live out? Yes. Why is it hard to live out? I'll tell you why. Because I am a horrible human being. And so are you. <laughs> and you put us together and you know what happens? Is it all pretty and nice and fit very comfortably into a box? No, we have to deal with each other's messes. We have to deal with each other's sins. We have to deal with each other's pains. We have to deal with each other's triumphs. And it gets messy and it's time consuming. Is it worth it though? Is it what God designed and wants? Absolutely. So intentional community. We will live intentionally in community with the body of Christ and others to best care for one another, God's world, and his abundant gifts. God desires so much so that we live in community, that he created us to need each other, to not just need him, but to need each other. And here, community looks like your church, your families, things that you know. When we went to India, our community wasn't a church our community was the people around us. And so what are some tangible ways that we could create community is a good question. How can we create community? Well, one of the best ways that I found to create community is to invite people into your space. Have people come to your home. Right now, everyone in this room probably has a, a little black device or maybe it's gold or pink or purple like this in their pocket and we think this device sometimes has these social media things and we're all connected but you know what happens we don't interact with each other we interact with this instead god really really desires that we interact with each other we have each other in each other's space because when we could actually be a human being to one another you know what god desires he desires that we see his image in each other. That I could look at you and say, in you I see the image of God, whether you know him or not. It's hard to cancel that. It's hard to just, you know, when someone's in your home to be like, get out right now because I don't believe on the stance that you're taking on this one issue. That person is a person, unique created for God's glory. And it's messy. But it is God's intention. And so when we live in community, we can share the things that we have. We shared with our neighbors. They shared with us. We shared in their sorrows. They shared in ours. We shared in their triumphs. They shared in ours. 
and they weren't believers. But hopefully they're seeing the need for, for God in those interactions. Scripture for this? Sure. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So from community, when God is in it and when we are intentional in our community, it creates interdependency. And I love this because not only do we serve the one true God, we also serve a God that lives in community with himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in interdependency, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and they also are unique, something I cannot preach on because I don't get it, but that's what he says. You know, that's what's in there, so we go with it. And it's this amazing picture of what the body of Christ can look like and what his image bearers can look like when we live like he is real and he is true and he is this God who is three in one. And so when we look at each person and how God makes each person in our community, we see how God has made each of us with unique skills and gifts to depend on one another. You know, um, I was going to say one thing, but I'm going to say something else. So the lady I was sitting next to in the previous photo, um, her name is Rafika, um, and she is one of my best, best sisters in the world. And um, when we first moved to the city in the mountains where we lived, um, we got lice because we hung out with shepherds. And um, I, we were sitting out on the front porch, and Chris was combing through my long hair looking for knits because we don't have the nice lice shampoos and, um, in India that we have here. And my friend Rafika, who lived next door to us in the same compound, she saw my husband trying to figure out how to go through a woman's hair, and she's like, oh, brother, get out of the way. <laughs> and I had known this woman for three months, and I said, no, 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 it's too dirty. I don't want you getting lice like this. No, 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 no. You can't do that. And she looked at me and she said, your mother and your sisters are far away. And my mother and my sisters are far away in the village, but I am here now and I am your sister. And this is what sisters do for each other. And she combed through my hair for two weeks. When we are honest and open with each other in community, we can allow each other to be that kind of a person in each other's lives. We can hold on to the mess and the dirtiness. We can help clean each other. This community that you see there, those were the fellow workers that we had. There were people from three or four continents. Um, yeah, three, I think. And um, there were people from many different um, Christian backgrounds of different denominations but we were all there together. 
and we did not see things the same all the time. And it was sometimes difficult to walk beside some of these folks who had different values in certain ways than we did or different ideas about how to reach this valley. Um, but they were the people that God gave us. And those gifts, we blessed each other. This is a, this is a sun, this is Easter Sunday morning up on the mountain over the, overlooking the city, praying for the city because there is a risen Savior. And it was through that interdependency that we could come together and trust that God is going to move in that place. And it's through the interdependency that you can have with each other and you can have with other member bodies, members of Christ's body that you can know that the kingdom is coming to St. James, that the kingdom is coming to this county, that the kingdom is coming to this state. So our verse for that is four. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Romans 12, 4 through 5. We're going to move on to proclamation. We will boldly proclaim God's good news by our testimony and love for our neighbor. We did some proclamation today, going through and praying for this city. That's a proclamation over the areas of this city that God is in control, that God owns this space. That's a proclamation. There's a way of proclaiming, of actually saying the words of the good news, telling people that there's a risen Savior, telling people that there's someone who has conquered the death and the pain and the sin and the struggle that they're facing. There's also proclamation in loving somebody who's not there yet. Um, you know, when we, when we think about it, we look at... Um, the, the people in those pictures up there are the people that we loved in our community who haven't accepted Christ yet. They've heard it. It's a terrifying place to be a believer because people will be persecuted harshly in that place. And so it means it's, it's a big deal if they turn toward Jesus. And we know that and we know that God is big enough, and we continue to proclaim in our, in our hearts and in our prayers, we proclaimed it to them in loving them and not saying, oh, if you don't accept this, then we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> or if you don't start agreeing with me, then we're not going to have you over anymore. But that we would continue to proclaim, God loves you, I love you, you're my family, we're together in this. And we can do that in this community as well where there's our neighbors or people in the schools that our kids, you know, are, are meeting, or whether it's somebody in our work who just, ugh. When we proclaim through loving somebody sacrificially and unconditionally, it tells this story that there is God's good news of love, of salvation, of hope. So the verse for this is, of course, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Yeah, that proclamation also doesn't have to take you to the ends of the earth. We can do that right where we're at. Um, the last piece we have in our commissioned living statement is a statement about justice and mercy. We will act in accordance with God's mercy and justice 
an advocacy for the weak and the marginalized. You know, this isn't just a social agenda. This is at the core of God's heart for the world. The brokenness of the world, God really cares about those that are marginalized. God really cares about justice. And we could tie it into political ideologies all we want. But really, if you look in the Bible and you look hard, you don't even have to look that hard. You just have to look in the Bible. God cares about mercy and he cares about justice. You know who has a hard time about mercy and justice? Me. I wish I could stand up here and tell you like tons of great stories that make me look like a wonderful human being. But I am not that. I desperately need a savior. So I'm going to share with you one story about how I royally failed in justice and mercy and how it led to repentance in my life. In India, I've seen some of the most extreme forms of poverty that, that you can see. You know, we don't like to see that in the West. You kind of like to just kind of close our eyes to, to these things that are really unfair imbalances of wealth, in, in fear imbalances of power in the world. You know, there's, and we are kind of sitting in a very privileged role here as Americans. God's given us a lot. And with that comes a lot that he asks. One day, a homeless man came up to me, a beggar. And we have beggars here in the States too. But this man came up to me and asked for money. And how you deal with that, hopefully you discern what the Spirit leads you in. In this moment, I felt like I was supposed to give him money. So I gave him money. Didn't feel particularly good about it. And then he asked for more. And he kept following me, wanted more. He kept having his hand out. I said, no, what I've given you is enough. And he kept asking for more. So I said, okay, that wasn't good enough. I took the money out of his hand and put it back in my pocket and walked away. And then as I'm walking away, I felt God's spirit being like, oh, Chris. And you're like, oh, yeah, that probably was the wrong move in that situation. No, that wasn't probably that. It really broke me up. You're like, geez, man, God, you've given me so much. You've given me so much. And I have not enough tolerance. I have not enough compassion. I have not enough mercy to even look at this person as a human being, to look at him as someone in desperate need. And I took what like was minimal back from him. Oh my goodness. I am a horrible human being. What do I need? I need Jesus. What else do I need? I need you guys. I need a body around me to be with. God desires us to be with each other and with with him. And to confess our sins. Like, I'm guessing I am not the only horrible human being in this this room. God desires us to work with each other and to walk with him. And this is what he wants to do for everyone in the world. So justice and mercy is, is uh, something that's deep in his heart and should be deep in ours. So this is the 
the core to what our commissioned living statement says, these six points. Uh, in this book, there's a ton of things you could work through on your own or work through in small groups uh, for what it means to live a commissioned life. You may even figure out things outside of those six. You could tailor it however you want to figure it out. But what does God want us to do? I think he wants us to live with intentionality, to live with purpose, to live with a direction. It's really easy to get carried in the, in the, in the stream of life without thinking and without depending. So I am super grateful to be up here as a broken human being in desperate need of God's salvation. And um, I continue to thank him for, for that, for him saving me. And I am grateful to be here with you guys today to say that he wants us to walk with him and as commissioned believers for his purpose. So thank you guys. Yeah, scripture. Oh, thank you, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our mercy and justice scripture. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah 1, 17. So, yeah. There you go. Um, amen. <laughs> Hold it. Nope. We're going to pray for you guys. Because I'm, I am praying that this is not the last time that you get to go and talk about commissioned living. Now, how many of you guys believe that God is at work out in the world? How many of you believe that God is at work here? So then if God is working, are we working with him? Or are we doing something else? Because that something else then would be against him. And so when Chris and Emily are talking about co-mission living, it isn't about us figuring out, all right, how do I impress God? Like, God's already working. He's already moving. Like, how do I get in step with God? Because if he's already walking, he's calling us, come join me. Come join me. So with that, let's pray. Father, I want to lift up to you, Chris and Emily, and I ask that you would bless them. Grant them wisdom. Grant them understanding. Grant them the words to speak. Grant them open doors to proclaim your work everywhere. Lord, that this is part of the gospel, that you call us to live our lives for something that's actually got meaning instead of for garbage. Lord, we thank you that you call us to worth and to value and to joy and to the fruits of the Spirit as we walk with you. Lord, and so I ask that you would grant them the opportunity, the open doors to proclaim this aspect of the gospel, a life that has meaning. Lord, we thank you for this gift that we can experience the truths of heaven here as we walk with you. Bless us now as we all process this. Lord, that your spirit be at work in us, guiding us through these, putting these things into place in our hearts and in our minds that we might make them part of our lives and that they might change every aspect of our lives. Lord, that our lives might look like Jesus because that is the greatest good 
that we could ever experience here in this world. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.